When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Welcome to this mammoth, epic, super special season-ending edition of Pod on the Time. All the usual suspects are here, but forget them. Alan Shearer is on. Hello, Alan. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are we doing? How are you reading off that script there? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've got a day job and I've just finished it to come straight here. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, though. I'm good. I moved house this weekend, yes. so obviously yeah. I'm in a zen-like Buddha kind of state at the minute. But uh, yeah, great fun. How are we doing anyway? Are you okay? I'm great. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this, so I'm looking forward to it. It better be good. Don't let me down. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it should be good. We've got lots to get through anyway, so we might as well crack on. Uh, here are the highlights of Newcastle's season from August to October. Only kidding. Uh, obviously, there wasn't much to shout about in that early part of the season. And sticking to that theme, we'll start as we don't mean to go on uh, and continue with our first award. Low point of the season. Uh, let's start with you, Alan. What do we think low point of the season would have been for Newcastle? Well, there's been a few. Um, uh, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to... Uh, I'm gonna, I would say um, possibly the Cambridge going out in the, uh, in the FA Cup. There was such a uh, great atmosphere, yeah. bit of anticipation, bit of hope, and it was a great draw to have uh, to have the home draw against uh, against Cambridge, and then to go out in the flat manner we did. I didn't, I don't, I didn't expect us with the team we had then to go on and win the FA Cup. But I just thought because of what had happened, because of the atmosphere and everything else, I just thought that, yeah, we'll, we'll have a good crack in the FA Cup this year. Not that, just because we haven't for so many years that um, I expected us to go a little bit deeper into the, uh, into the competition and to go out in the way that we did. It was just 
shit, basically. <laughs> and it was it was followed quickly by Watford as well, wasn't it? That was the next weekend, yeah. and so you had yeah. like back on back. Um, and that was when they'd rushed out and signed Chris Wood for twenty five million because they didn't have a striker. So yeah, that was going to be my low point actually. The Watford game, that João Pedro goal for Watford. I thought at that point in time, I thought if we can't beat Watford, we can't beat anyone. And I think that was probably mine. What about you, George? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose both of those moments were kind of post takeover, and I was in the stands for both of those games. I did think it was finished after Watford, but I did have that sense that in twelve months' time, whatever division. Newcastle were in, the club would be better. So it was still, you know, it wasn't that sort of crushing negativity. My choice would be Wolves away. And that was, as it turned out, that was the final game uh, pre-takeover. And I did that match. It was a long drive there and back. It was just flat. It was a 2-1 defeat. I had loads of friends in the away end. They all said the same thing, that that was the flattest it had ever been. Everybody you know, felt like it, we were just stuck in this sort of Groundhog Day, Groundhog Club. Steve Bruce spoke afterwards and he was talking about trying to change the way Newcastle were playing, about the lack of balance. And he'd more or less said exactly the same thing a year later. You know, uh, sorry, a year earlier. That's not going to go, not going to go at him. And it was just <laughs> awful. Yeah. It just felt like nothing was ever going to change. And I've spoken about this before. I talked to one of Amanda Staverley's kind of advisors on the way back and had a chat and he'd spoken to her the day before and she was still saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to get this done, we're going to get this done. But honestly, I laughed because it felt like it was so far away, which just goes to show what I I know. But yeah, Wolves away (laughs) never felt, never felt lower. The biggest surprise of that is, George, is actually you drive yourself. You don't have a driver. We're, 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 uh, Lord, Lord Colgan there. His driver was on holiday. That yeah, week. yeah. It's it's um, we're, we're, we don't all quite get the uh, perks that you you get, Alan. But um, but yes, I'm afraid I did. I'm afraid to destroy to destroy the image. But I did have to drive oh, myself. Dear. Yeah. Oh dear, amazing stuff, Chris. What about you? In terms of from a footballing point of view, I think I'd agree with Alan. That Cambridge game felt really low. But if in terms of personally covering the club this year it was the week before the takeover and it was sitting on on zoom on a bloody cat case call which i didn't really understand what the hell was going on why the hell newcastle united were going through the competition appeals tribunal sitting there thinking when is this takeover saga ever going to end i mean it was just like groundhog day over and over again it was just relentless uh, uh, this this just takeover talk all the time with nothing happening and at that point it just felt like it was never going to end and so i think for me that sort of that 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 day sitting there which because i just remember because that was only in october it was late september sorry thinking bloody hell this season is never going to end and in the end it was a very long season but for very different reasons so yeah that would probably be the low point for me chris i would have thought a low point for you personally would have been getting locked in a train i mean I, ha- I have many impressive feats and that's one of them so yeah that was that was norwich for me yeah that was that was chris should get his own section of his own on this i mean alan you wouldn't Classic, have heard chris. this but last week i mean chris was such a broken man uh, by by Newcastle this season last last week as we were recording the podcast he was sitting only in his pants eating a vegetable <laughs> lasagna as we were recording. Um, but that's an image that I might struggle to get out of my head. Yeah, yeah, we're all struggling. <laughs> Quite a lot of intensive therapy between last week's episode and this week's, and it's still there, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, we asked uh, we asked the listeners as well for their nominations, and here's a few highlights. Callum K on the real time section of the Athletic app mentions the Kieran Clark red card. Uh, at home in Norwich. Yeah. Uh, again, we all thought we had to win and it's hard to describe how frustrating and Newcastle-y it was, he said. 
What a start to the first half that was. An absolutely brainless uh, red card from Kieran Clark after only nine minutes. So all the optimisms really seep out of Newcastle United and fans early in the game. A very touchy and edgy St James's Park. Uh, it feels like we're getting penned back. And really, it's been all Norwich since then in terms of possession. Very little quality on display from either team. Very few clear-cut chances. Do you just get that feeling that this season is is just one of those seasons? You know, the biggest, best thing that could have happened to the club has happened and yet on the pitch it just resolutely fails to happen it just makes me think of the year Newcastle finished fifth I mean not in a good way obviously but that season sort of just everything went right everything flowed for the team and you just couldn't explain it and this is the opposite that's been described to me a few times as a turning point in the season though because it was that moment when Kieran Clark got sent off that we had to reshuffle the pack yeah. Joe Linton was moved into that midfield position and from then on he never looked back did he it is a very much a turning point that one isn't it I did the co-coms for that game because I'm pretty sure it was on uh, it was on Amazon or something like that um, so I did it live the co-coms and it was really it was really difficult trying to keep my cool because I'm thinking to myself <laughs> what the fuck am I watching here my god and trying not to say that live on television was very, very difficult. But I did. I just thought, oh, my God, that's it. We are knackered. We've got no chance. Um, but, yeah, so that was a bit of a low moment as well, yeah. Just to interject briefly to our listeners, Alan asked if he was allowed to swear on this podcast before we started. And I said, you're not just allowed, you you actually have to, um, because there's no other way of getting through 45 minutes to an hour talking about Newcastle without it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, good Joe on Twitter has agreed with George and said, Jeff Hendricks scoring goal of the season contender for us to still lose yeah, 2-1 with a very poor Wolves team. That was when the keeper was down injured as well, wasn't he? And then when he realised there was a threat, he suddenly jumped up. <laughs> Jeff Hendrick put it back, put it back past him. Oh my word, what a moment! Uh, Craig on Twitter says uh, it's thinking about Chris's nipples last week. But that's not something Alan needs to know about. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, he does now. Uh, and of course, John Anderson spoke for all of us when summarising for BBC Newcastle away to Watford in September when he said this. Can he play a colleague through? It's Jacob Murphy released. Murphy one on one. Jacob Murphy to win it. Oh, oh no, just put no, it in his no. net. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not the only one on the court. Well, there you go. Oh, I love that moment. I just love that moment. <laughs> At least I never said what I was thinking. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Would you have tried to dink the keeper there, Alan, or would you have drilled that? I know what I'd have done. I'd have put it in the net. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Right, uh, that's the group therapy out of the way, and in a moment we'll be accentuating the positive, but don't forget that you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. You get full access to all the great writing and ad-free versions of the Athletics Podcast. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. Come on, you Maggies. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. As we've just established, we were all preparing ourselves for oblivion in October, but then this happened. Finally, the Newcastle United supporters have got what they have wanted for a long, long time. The Premier League, Newcastle United Football Club and St James's Holdings Limited have today settled the dispute over the takeover of the club by the consortium. Following the completion of the Premier League's owners and directors test, the club has been sold to the consortium with immediate effect. The time where I first got notified, I was on the phone speaking pidgin French to a former French coach of Valence Saint Maximin. And then and George just tried calling me and I'm ignoring it and he just texted me saying you need to you basically you need to answer your phone. And so suddenly I then pivot from that to, to all of this. It's the moment that we thought would never have come that felt even when we recorded our product to start of the week when we were talking about court cases and you know it felt like such a distance away and here we are two or three days later marking the end of a pretty shitty era. Newcastle United deserves to be top of the Premier League and you know it'll take time but we will get there. It's just the beginning guys. The one thing that's been completely drained out of the club over the last 14 years has been hope and to have that go it's just such a big deal. I haven't slept a lot in the last couple of days, but I sound a lot better than you. What have you been doing? <clears throat> well, I, I, I echo the sentiments of Sam Fender on the BBC <laughs> News this morning. That was a great In interview. which he said, I am proper hungover. Yeah, I've got a slightly hoarse uh, throat. I'm sounding a bit gruff. There's a real jumble of emotions. Got all this stuff kind of going through, but yeah, just great seeing those scenes outside St James's yesterday. And here we are, can't believe it. Amazing stuff. A few goosebumps there, I have to say. And what a whirlwind week that was. I was stood outside of St. James's Park with the masses when that news broke. Alan, can you remember where you were at that moment and what, how you felt hearing that news that this club had finally been sold? I was back in um, back in Newcastle and I got a call off my uh, off my son. Where are you, Dad? Where are you, Dad? <laughs> it's happening. I'm coming up on the train. <laughs> I said, you're coming up? He said, yeah, I can't miss it. I just can't. I've got to be there, Dad. And he got on the train from from London and he was one of the masses that, uh, at, that congregated around St. James's Park and so yeah um, I didn't think it was ever going to happen because there'd been so many times when it was close it was happening it was off it was on and I just thought oh god this is never happening so um, yeah it, it took it, it took a while to sink in. And you were you were like 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 me you were you were there that night in Jesmond Dean house you were invited down to talk to them and that was like and you know I was there I was doing interviews and and things like that but I was asked my opinion about what the club should do next and where the club where things stand just like you were asked your opinion and you immediately get that sense of everything changing at Newcastle didn't you because suddenly they wanted to know you know there was that direct communication with the new owners 
Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I'd had uh, I had a couple of calls beforehand, um, but again, it was sort of false dawns, and it was um, it was one of those things where I thought it was yeah they might want it to happen, but because of a certain person in the football club, it might never happen. Um, so when it did, and then when I got the call to say, look, um, we'd love you. Your input would love to have a chat with you. Um, it, it was more than I had in fourteen or fifteen years, um, so it was just nice to nice to ask my opinion, ask what or how or where or, or whatever it was. So yeah, it was um, it was great to see, and I just thought from then on, I think we're going to be all right. Yeah, you say you say it was more than you had in fourteen years, considering you were manager at one point. That says that says something, doesn't it? Yeah, well, probably still more. I got more than I got in the eight weeks, actually. Yeah, so <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it was it was it was nice to be asked my opinion. Chris, have you come to terms yet with the whole takeover thing? I know it was a, a an incredible week for you and. Uh, it, it took some getting used to, didn't it, that first few weeks? It did. I mean, George and I were just sort of working off fumes for a few weeks because <laughs> yeah. it was just so busy because it went, it went from Newcastle weren't a global story beforehand and then all of a sudden, overnight, you had worldwide interest. Everyone wanted to, to know everything that was going on and it was just, yeah, it was just it was staggering how quickly it changed from that Wolves game. Within five days, it completely completely changed. And no, I don't think I have had time to fully process everything. I think maybe over the summer might get a bit more of an opportunity, but the season, the way that it's gone, I mean, January was just astonishingly busy and crazy and everything back and forth. We've gone from windows where Newcastle didn't do anything to suddenly they were linked to everyone in the world. And just that change of sort of status of the club and everything and, 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 the, and, the, and the feel and the feel of match days and everything. No, I don't think I can compute everything quite yet. It's just, yeah, it's just been staggering. Well, hopefully uh, we'll start to come to terms with it very soon. Plenty more to come, uh, but let's do some more awards at this juncture, shall we? Next up is uh, Player of the Season, and here are your nominees. Silky centre-half and future male model, Fabian Scher. Uh, he's not been very long uh, in Newcastle, but we're already in love with Bruno Guimaraes. Uh, the Brazilian, Jolinaissance, <laughs> that's really hard to say, it's Joe Linton. Uh, and we have to mention our top scorer as well, Callum Wilson, difference maker, hair puller out to her uh, and more outfield appearances than anyone else Alanson Maximan as well so um, Alan let's go to you first what's your thoughts for player of the season um, first half of the season I don't think you could have picked anybody but how about now um, out of that list it would have to be Joe Linton I think I mean Gamerej has been magnificent um, in uh, ever since he sort of got into the team and had to wait a while before he got in there Um Callum Wilson's been injured too much for, for to give it to him. Shares had a really good season, really improved. Um, San Max, too up and down, not produced enough uh, at times. So, yeah, Joe Linton, I mean, the, the transformation and the change in, in him, um, the belief not only from within himself, but from fans also um, has been incredible. I mean, the... The change has been staggering. So, yeah, Joe Linton, with, uh, with that list you've given me, absolutely no doubt about it. You actually said, Alan, in November, this is a quote from an interview you did, I think it was with Gary Neville, you said, I actually feel sorry for Joe Linton because he was given the number nine shirt, asked to play centre forward and score goals. None of that is his fault. That's not his position. It's astonishing to think that we're talking about him as player of the year, uh, player of the season playing in a different position but he's the story of this season isn't he if you have to pick one player to epitomise Newcastle's story this season it's him yeah and I, I I stick by all of those things that I said to Gary um, at the time um, because he wasn't a centre forward 
Everyone could see that. He wasn't a number nine, and he's never going to score you enough goals. Um, so for him to come in and cost what he did, for him to come in and be given the number nine shirt, it was unfair on him, I thought. Um, I just didn't think it was it was right for him as an individual. So um, I, I would think it would be a huge relief for him when he was actually moved back into, into midfield. Um, but then for him to go on and play as he has done, look as strong as he has, um, he deserves great credit personally, as well as the manager does for, for, for doing that. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it, had to, it had to be him. That, I, I'm not sure I've seen a change in, in, an, in an individual um, in a positive way that I have done in him in, in ever, actually. I'm not in, in terms of, I was going to say, for a long time. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains thinking, is, is there, has there been? I can't, I can't think of one. I can't remember a player ever turning it around to such an extent. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's players who've had decent starts and or, or poor starts and have turned it around and scored goals or put performances in. I've never known a player come from the very depths of, of you know, fans kind of... I've sat in that in that uh, Gallagher end and, and had heard people booing him and not wanting him on the pitch and stuff like that. To go from that to be the player of the season is astonishing. And you know, you know, you know what 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 I what I... What I admired about him most when he was being asked to play as a centre forward or whatever it was, and the price tag around his neck and the number nine shirt, etc., etc., he never shied away. He never, he never hit, did he? he? Always, still, even though he constantly gave the ball away and his touch was poor and he didn't bring people into the game, he actually always wanted it. And and I, and I, that, I really admired him for that. Yeah, absolutely. How difficult is that as a, as a former professional to have... Ch- I know we say that centre-forward wasn't his position, but really sort of the midfield position he's been in wasn't a position he'd really played in before either. He nope. was sort of like a wide or deep line forward. How difficult is it to just to just make that transition? I mean, if someone had said to you, you're suddenly going to play in a completely different position as a professional, how difficult would that have been? What are you asking me for? I could only play one <laughs> position. <laughs> Actually, I was very, I was very, very close to playing centre half once in a European game under Graham Souness. Uh, we'd run out of players. We were, we were bare minimum. Didn't have no defenders really. And I offered it, and I went and said, "Look, I'll, uh, I don't mind playing centre half if you, uh, if you, if you want. I mean, you put your neck on the line, but I'm willing to give it a go." I used to enjoy playing it in in training. I'm not sure the weather I would have been any good. No, at it, no, but, I um, think, but. Not wanting to to blow smoke, but um, but I will I will do. Um, but you were you were you were often you were often Newcastle's best defender. I thought in in some some games. I mean, particularly towards the end of your career, you were the person defending at the near post. You were the person shielding the ball. Yeah. You were the person doing all that. I mean, I thought I think you can see in those moments why sometimes strikers do do that. Go from striker to centre forward, or the other way, or the other way round, because you're actually sort of in similar areas of the pitch all the time. Problem with that is that's fine when you're the ball's always in front of you. When you've got a clever centre forward who comes up and thinks, mm, "This guy's towards the end of his career. Mm. He's not as quick as he once was," and then starts to run <laughs> in behind, then I might have struggled. Anyway, it never got to that. So um, the answer to that is, Chris, I haven't got a fucking Scooby. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, and th- this category is actually is really the easiest, I think, because I think we'd all say, I think we'd all say, Jalinton. The reason why we mentioned the others was to sort of make more of a discussion of it. Where it's interesting is is actually 
you know, is the fact that the fact Newcastle have stayed up is kind of down to everybody, isn't it? You know, those dressing room pictures have been controversial to some people but they've also told their own story which has been that everyone's been in it together and the people who signed who were signed in January have all fitted in very well um you know we mentioned Callum Wilson it's incredible that he's still top scorer I mean I know he's just got a couple of goals at the end of the season but he didn't play for any of the for that for that important stretch I think it's important to mention St Max Matt I don't think he's been at his best under Eddie Howe, but he's made more outfield appearances than anybody else this season, so you have to acknowledge that. And people like Cher and John Joe Shelby and Emil Kraft have really, really stepped up since Eddie Howe took the job. So, you know, they're they're definitely worth a shout. But um no, he's it's our it's our Brazilian. Only cost forty million. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. Something happens. Jolinton sort of the ball is crossed in, he's stretching, a wormhole opens into another dimension, and it's defied all physics. He tries to take a shot and it fucking smacks him in the face. You're travelling through another dimension. You've just crossed over into the Jolinton zone. Right then, next it is goal of the season, and here are your nominees. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes for his flying backheel kick against Southampton. Miguel Almiron's goal against Crystal Palace, that won goal of the month for April. Callum Wilson versus Tottenham Hotspur, the first goal post-takeover. Callum Wilson's overhead kick at Crystal Palace. And finally, Kieran Trippier's free kick against Everton. George, let's start with you. Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I'm going to... I think there's a case... Yeah, there's a great case to be made for all of those. Um, I'm going to probably take away... I'm probably going to mention the one that others others won't. I'm going to talk about Kieran Trippier's free kick against Everton. Um, it, was a, it was a great oh. free kick. Um, curled around the wall. It was a massive win, if put it into that context, because it was their... That was their second win in succession after Leeds and it was the day that they came out of the relegation zone for the first time in something like 129 days but it also gives me a chance to talk about Kieran Trippier Alan interviewed him not long um not long after he joined and I was on that call and I I just love what he stood for and what he stands for I know that he was then injured but you know a current England international coming to Newcastle straight after winning La Liga and you know, sort of dropping down, but and to be part of something, knowing that he was putting his own kind of career on the line a little bit, was just such an important moment for the club. And I think it set Newcastle up for that transformative transfer window. He came and he was very humble, wasn't he, Alan? But he was, he he committed himself and he immediately became the team's de facto captain. And even though he's been injured, he stayed in the dressing room, stayed involved. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna nominate. Kieran Trippier's free kick, just because I think he became such an important statement for the club. Well said. Good shout. Well said. Excellent shout. Very good. Back in the England squad as well, first Newcastle player yeah. since Andros Townsend in 2016 to be called up. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, very good. I uh, I agree with all of that that you've said. I don't necessarily think it was goal of the season, 
But um, I agree with everything you've said in terms of he was the starter of what was happening. It was a it was a big risk for him coming, wasn't it? All right, hot shot. Goal, you don't you don't agree with my choice for goal of the season. All right. Well seeing as you're the supposed expert, why don't you choose your goal of the season? Um I'm gonna have to say Bruno at uh it's Southampton. Um, oh, yeah. I mean that's the right answer, isn't it? I was away on a golf trip and watched that in a bar and oh, I was with um there was me and seven other Geordies, all my pals. And the bar was just, it just went berserk. So, um, I mean, the technique was superb. And just the night, because I was away on the piss with my mates, and it was a great night. I don't think I've said, how the fuck has he done that that many times since that Lauren Robert goal against yeah, Fulham? Yeah. did that overhead back yeah. heel scorpion kick. I couldn't, I, I must have watched it about 50 times the next day, and I still haven't figured out how he managed to do it. It was a thing of beauty. Chris, what about a shout for Callum Wilson's overhead kick against Crystal Palace? If we're talking about things of beauty, that was a great goal, wasn't it? That was, yeah, that was phenomenal. And that was also in a game. I mean, George was there. Doesn't remember it because I was chatting about it earlier. But that was when Newcastle basically didn't have the ball for the rest of that game. And then Wilson, out of absolutely nothing, produced yeah. a moment of beauty. I think, I think I would go for Bruno ahead of that because I was at St. Mary's for the game. And I remember where the press box is, you, you look at across where Bruno is and I remember when the ball came in and then ended up in the net I had no I, I was sitting there thinking how the heck is what, that seemed to be Bruno but how has the ball got into the, the back of the net I couldn't come mm. and I watched several replays and I still couldn't comprehend what I'd just seen so both of them on, in most seasons would win goal of the season contender but for a goal I hadn't seen before and the power he manages to generate from the back heel I think I'd go for I think I'd go for um for Bruno but in terms of in terms of Wilson Allen I mean you mentioned earlier he hasn't played that much this season but he's got eight in 16 starts can you just chat to us about Callum Wilson and, and what you think of him as a striker obviously you chatted to him at the start of the season as well yeah well I tell you what would have been goal of the season that volley the other, the other night against uh, Arsenal that would have been if it had a, it, I mean it was when you, you've seen it from behind wasn't you it's like hit, hitting the goal hitting the goal hitting the goal <laughs> just bends away at that last second doesn't it I mean that, that would have been Amazing. without a doubt goal of the season I like him I'm a big fan of of, uh, of his play, what he gives to Newcastle. I mean, how can you criticise someone for being injured? But the, the criticism that he doesn't play uh, enough games is, is fair enough. Um, and I think that the reason why a forward will be high on the priority list of, of Newcastle this summer is because of that. Um, is because right throughout his career he's he's struggled with injuries and he's going to miss half or a third of a, of a season. You sort of know that and understand that. But when he's on the pitch, then I'm a, I'm a big fan of what he gives. Um, goal scoring, a threat in the six-yard box, which we don't have when uh, when he's not on the team. His pace, because of his ability to run behind in the time of his runs, that also gets the defenders another 10 or 15 yards further up the pitch. So... Um, Newcastle are a much better team with him, with him in the team than without it. One of the things I love about Callum Wilson as well, Alan, is the uh, his ability to score different types of goals. He's one of these strikers. The goal against Burnley, I'm thinking of when you know he robbed Nick Pope and he managed just to to spin and put it back in the overhead kick against Palace headers. Um, you know he puts his penalties away and stuff like that. He scores lots of different types of goals, and that's really important for a striker, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That's it's, it's a sign of a very good striker that you can score different kinds, and that's um, that's why he's been in the uh, in the Premier League. That's why he's he'll, he will always score goals because of uh, because of that. So um, 
And if you've got someone who can regularly get you 15 to 18 goals, and that's going to take you up another six or seven places in the Premier League. And that's why the strikers are a premium, is that because that's what they do and that's why they get the biggest salary and the big cost of biggest transfers is because scoring goals is the most important thing. I did want to put in the, the goal he scored against Spurs as well um, because that was the first goal post-takeover. But, yeah, yeah. but And it was an amazing moment. But I'm going to talk about that game a bit later. So do we all agree that it's Bruno? That it's Bruno's Bruno's award this? I think so. Yeah, for me. Has to be, doesn't it? Has to be. So there we go. Goal of the season is Bruno Guimaraes versus Southampton. Uh, some honourable mentions, though, before we move on. Bruno again versus Leicester at the death. What a mm. goal that was. A, an incredible sweeping counter-attack. A little bit of fortune with Joe Willis cross-bobbling in, but right place, right time. He made that run late into the box in a, a Shearer-esque header, shall we say, Alan. I was at that game as well, and the atmosphere that uh, that, that afternoon was unbelievable. I mean, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Um, and for him to, to score in the way he, uh, the way he did, he, he's really impressed me. So yeah, um, it was a great it was a great goal for him to be there in the first place. His goal against Norwich as well was uh, was a fantastic finish, very tidy. Just sitting Tim Krull down and dinking the ball over him and uh, showing some of those uh, futsal skills that uh, Chris so dearly loves. Um, also, Gillington against Norwich that first goal that was a great finish as well. Uh, and we've already mentioned Jeff Hendrick uh, at Wolves, his strike from distance. Targets ball in. Good up. It's towards the back of the box. Burn heads across. Oh, yes! They've got themselves in front, Newcastle. Gimaraes. The goal has been scored by Bruno Gimaraes. A goal on his full debut for Newcastle. Flicked in after Burn headed it back across. It's Bruno and it's Southampton 1, Newcastle United 2. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, so now it's on a quarter of the season and this isn't about taking the mickey, uh, but it's about those memorable phrases which one way or another sum up Newcastle's journey this season. We've already mentioned Ando's plaintive scream at Watford, so the other nominees are Steve Bruce. I will, with me experience, hope that I can keep the club just ticking along and make sure that, uh, that the club stays where it is. <laughs> Amanda Stavely. Of course, we have the same ambitions as Manchester City and PSG in terms of trophies, absolutely, but they will take time. Do we want to win the Premier League within five to ten years? Yes. Lofty. Uh, Steve Bruce again. To never really be wanted, to feel that people wanted me to fail and saying I would fail and that I was a useless, a fat waste of space, a technically inept cabbage head. Strong words. Medad Gadusi, I would love Eddie Howe to be the next Alex Ferguson. <laughs> what do we think about those? There's some <laughs> some quotes in there, isn't there? Let's start with Steve Bruce because he appears in there twice. Um, Alan, Steve had a he had a tough time at Newcastle, didn't he? Let's be honest. Um, I'm not sure whether he uh, ever endeared himself to the fans as much as maybe he could. 
Uh, but like you say, that that quote, let's just keep the club ticking along and see if we can keep it where it is. It speaks volumes. That, that sort of sums up the Mike Ashley era. I mean, what else? What else was he meant to do? I mean, we couldn't we couldn't really get into the uh, to the top eight. We couldn't have any hope. We couldn't. I think the the, the football we played, the the fans, not even attendance in James's Park. Um, Fans around among themselves um, about this, that, and the other. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a really tough time. And as you know, I'm his I'm his pal. Um, so and I, I didn't want him, I didn't want him to take the job for all of those reasons, which is why I said when I when I was offered or asked my opinion, I should say beforehand. Um, I knew how tough it was going to be. I'd been in the position myself, and I didn't I didn't want him to go in there. So. Um, yeah, it was a really tough time for him. I think that the ticking along quote was is actually quite important, or was actually quite important, because for a long, you know, because Ashley and Lee Charnley, they always denied that. They always said, "Oh yeah, Tom, you know, top ten. We want the club to be the best it can be, pound for pound, all that kind of bollocks." And Steve, I think to his credit, actually, you know, took took the veil off that a little bit with that quote, because that was what we'd always suspected, really, that there was nothing in it beyond staying up and okay fine by that point Ashley had had kind of checked out you know the takeover hadn't happened at that point but he was sort of committed to it and and that's what it was and how do you how do you how do you invest yourself if you're a fan how do you invest yourself into your own club if that's the attitude I mean I know that being a fan is a birthright you know we can't help it it's we've got no choice in the matter but how can you keep investing you know, your time, your money, your love into an institution that does not give a fuck. And that was, that quote summed it up. The other quote from him is sad. And, it is. you know, that was an interview with with our, our mate, Luke Edwards at The Telegraph. And I'm not sure that people wanted him to fail. I don't think that's true. But I do think there was an expectation that he would fail. And because of the way the club has been run, there was just that kind of sense of fatalism. He replaced Rafa. That was the last straw for a lot of people. 10,000 supporters walked away at that point. And there was just a feeling that the club wouldn't get better. And I think that feeling was always around Steve. I think the pandemic and no fans in stadiums, I suppose in some ways you could say that protected him. But in the other, it meant that he was never able really to reintroduce himself properly to supporters and by the end, he was speaking as if he if he was an outsider, and that's a very sad story. Don't you always also think as well, George? He was the only voice of the football. Oh yeah, club. he no, was the no, only absolutely. one. I mean, they, they all were prepared to push him forward. Whatever shit he had to say, whatever bad news had to come out, whatever what good, bad, or indifferent, he was the one that was always telling it. No one other than him from the football club was prepared to come out and face up to anything. Yeah. Now I get he's the manager of the football club or the coach because. We all know what what went on in terms of players in or players out or what, however it is or picking cup teams or whatever it, whatever it is. So um, it, from that point of view, it was a really it was a I wouldn't say it was an impossible job, but it was an almost impossible job working under those circumstances. But if you also think about, I think the probably the one of, if not the last official statement that came from the club before the takeover was that faceless 
piece of work that came out just after the transfer window closed and basically said, yeah, we all knew what we were doing. We were all saying the same thing. We were, Everybody knew. Uh, I can't remember the exact quote. Maybe Chris can remember it. But basically, Steve Bruce was fighting until the last minute to try and get Chowdhury in on loan and things like that. And the club had shut up shop earlier that day. And they, they were briefing that and he didn't know it. Or if he knew it, he was still, oh, he was still trying. And you get that. And also, by the way, you mentioned the England squad being announced. Is that there's a there's a player in the England squad who's been announced today, Jared Bowen. Steve Adam, Steve Adam, ready to come to uh, ready to come to Newcastle, and they they didn't do the deal. So, yeah, it's that's that's which obviously people don't see or know what's going on behind the scenes. But it was it was a very very tough situation. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on from Steve Bruce slightly. Uh, Amanda Staveley's uh, quotes uh, after the takeover was completed about having the kind of ambitions to match Man City and PSG and the possibility of winning the Premier League within five to ten years. Alan, is that flight of fancy? Is it something that's possible? Uh, what do we think it's about It's not something that? I would... Sounds good though, doesn't it? It sounds amazing, absolutely, especially how, with how, how bad it, it, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, realistic terms. Is it going to happen? I don't expect it to happen. Um, not something I would have said myself, but uh, let's hope it does. But I, I'm not expecting it. Uh, do you know what? I don't really care. It's just a huge improvement in what's gone on and etc. Uh, etc. Et so if we win something, amazing. Um, I'll be delighted that I'll be around to uh, to see it. I, I, I hope that's the case anyway. But. Um, I'm not. I'm not looking for us to challenge or expect us to challenge Man City and PSG in five years' time. What do we think of that quote, Chris? It's um, it's lofty, isn't it? But um, is there a chance Newcastle could get to those heights? I, I like Alan. I mean, I remember saying at the time, I don't think it's certainly within five years. I just can't see it being likely. Mm, that's that's very brief, that isn't it? Let's be honest. It, it is. I mean, I also remember being at, at uh, Bruno Gimresh's unveiling at St James's as well, and, and he was asked why he'd come to Newcastle and what the owners had said to him, and he said at that point that they were going to be a world power and that they were looking to win the Champions League, and you're sitting there thinking, three months beforehand, four months beforehand, it's obviously the Mike Ashley era, and suddenly you've had <laughs> the owners come out and say that this is the ambition, and then Bruno Gimresh. I mean, just the fact that there is even that ambition is nice, to, to even to be speaking about about progressing and moving forward is nice. Do I think those ambitions are too lofty and that you need to get the the, the groundwork sword first? Yes, I probably do think that you're sort of running before you can walk, but equally, just, just how different that was to everything we've heard before just that that was why it was almost so astonishing is just the idea that you can get better the idea you can progress after 14 years of, of, of not having any of that that was but yeah I think it's if Newcastle are anywhere near any like Man City or Liverpool within seven to ten years they've done a heck of a job in rebuilding it takes me back to the to the to the takeover night and um Amanda Staveley was doing all the interviews and I was the last one in to, to see her and um, at one point she said to me um, you know the one thing I'm really conscious of is not over promising and I like lifted up my phone and said there's the headline that says we are going to win the Premier League within five years and she said did I say that it's been a long day but but they've repeat but they've repeated it and they've said it again and yeah I mean it does sound I mean it's an extraordinary thing to kind of come out and say but it it absolutely wipes away that sort of feeling of no ambition for 10 years, 15 years, and suddenly the ambition is limitless. Now, that that can create its own problems if it kind of runs wild. But my God, the contrast, you know. And 
Murdad saying, I would love Eddie to be the next Ferg- Alex Ferguson, is in, again, it's an extraordinary thing to say. Um, but it's it's in the same context, isn't it? I mean, it's in the same context of success and thinking about Newcastle in terms of success, which I'd given up. I can imagine Eddie sat at home listening to uh, listening to that, thinking, "Oh my God, yeah, please, yeah. really, yeah, yeah. the greatest manager of all time <laughs> yeah, has yeah. won uh, countless yeah. trophies, and you actually put my name next to his. Do me a favour and be quiet, please." <laughs> I was going to say we have to say though, Eddie has done an absolutely incredible job, hasn't he, oh, in the time that he's came sure. in. I mean. <laughs> You could you couldn't have wished for 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 this half of this season to have gone any better, really, could you? No, I don't think it could have gone any better. I think from where we were to where we are now, where we finished, um, he's done a remarkable job and deserves huge praise and credit um, from all angles, from everyone. Um, and if it wasn't for City playing the ridiculous football they do, or if it wasn't for Klopp going for the quadruple mm. in the final week of the season, still then he would have been right up there with uh, with manager of the season because of, of of everything he's done i mean he's 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 transformed the club and it's it's a cheap shot and it's far too easy for people to say well you spend all that money in january well they they did but you still got to go in there and the way he's improved the way he's sort of understood and got the football club and got the team playing the way that uh, the way that he wants I, I think he's done a magnificent job and can be really proud of the job he's done Alan, how much of a relief was it for you to be doing that end of the season match of the day and Newcastle not have anything riding on it? For months were you thinking, I'm going to be sitting here just watching Turf World, just worrying. Was it, was, it, was it nice to have that nothing on it? I can't tell you how difficult it was sat there with a face on all day and shouting and getting up with this TV and screaming. I mean, the number of times I had my head in my hands or I'm shouting, for fuck's sake, please. <laughs> but then just to be chilled and relaxed and sat there thinking... If we get beaten, we get beaten. It doesn't. I mean, I want us to win, but hey, it's not the end of the world if we if we don't. And yeah, it was um, it was great, and it was also great to be sat in the studio with Wrighty when we played Arsenal. That was amazing because I think Wrighty said to me on the night, eighteen of the last nineteen times we played Arsenal, Arsenal have beaten Newcastle, and you can imagine the shit that I've had to put up with him on uh, on on the Saturdays or Sundays or Monday evenings, whenever the games have been. So. So for me to sit there from minute one to minute 92 or 93, it was just sit and gloat and have the biggest arrogant smirk ever. It was amazing. I loved it. Fantastic. Uh, which quote are we going to go for then for quarter of the season? George, what do you think? Uh, Eddie Howe to be the next Alex Ferguson, Steve Bruce to feel and never wanted, Amanda Stavely with her lofty aims and ambitions, or Steve Bruce again with the ticking along? No, I think Which it has to be. Think we choose? It has to be Amanda Stavely saying Premier League, Champions League, you know, within five to ten years, because that set the tone for everything on day one of the takeover. It's uplifting and it, you know, it took everyone's breath away, but it's optimistic as well. So for me, it has to definitely be that quote, surely. Are we all happy with that, I'm happy with that yeah. I'm happy with that. Can I just give an honourable mention, because I'd forgotten about this until actually you mentioned Sam Fender earlier, but him him being on uh, BBC Breakfast the morning <laughs> after the takeover, I'd completely forgotten about it, but that, that, that clip is just one of the best things I've ever seen as well. That was absolutely super. I knew he was going to be in trouble, you know, because um, he FaceTimed me that night from St James's Park. <laughs> And he was already absolutely shit faced then. <laughs> and he said to me, and he said to me, he said, I'm he on was. BBC Breakfast in the morning. And I just thought, I got to tune in because I need to see the state of him. And he didn't let us down, did he? <laughs> no, he did not. He did not. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> 
I actually got a I got a cup for Christmas uh, of my girlfriend that just says it's got Sam Ben on the front doing this, and it says, well, you know, <laughs> these things happen. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. We did Jules Holland, and then went straight up to uh, St James's, and my my saxophone player Johnny got on the statue and started a. Uh, playing local hero and 5,000 Geordies just started singing along because Ashley's out here. Yeah. I did about a th- thousand selfies, got proper mobbed, but everyone was absolutely class and they gave us a lot of cans and I'm really hungover. I'm really, really hungover. But I mean, you know, these things happen, don't they? Before we look at this summer and beyond, let's have a lovely chat about our best moment of the season. Uh, who wants to go first? Alan, come on, you take the lead on this one. Moment of the season. Well, the moment of the season is the Arsenal game. And obviously, we, it was a huge improvement with what's gone on. Um, but I think that Arsenal game was everything I want from a Newcastle team. Was everything I want from a Newcastle stadium. The fans, the atmosphere, everything else. And I just think... It all came together, all the players, all the staff, all the fans, the new owners. It all sort of came together that uh, that night and I just thought, you know what, this is what Newcastle United is all about. This is why I signed for Newcastle. This is what it was like when I was a, when I was a kid, when I, when I came to watch Kevin. And after being in such a mess for so many years, that night was everything I wanted it to be and the performance was amazing from minute one to minute 92 and the atmosphere was the best I've seen it for so many years and I just think for me that was when I thought you know what we've got our fucking club back and that's that 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 for me that night was amazing I have to say as well the flags that night Alan, oh, when we yeah. uh Saw the flag display before went out. It was absolutely breathtaking. I don't think I've ever seen St James's Park look mm. so amazing as it did that night. It was it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, they get they get the texts off all the uh, all the guys that are standing there at St James's Park, and they're all saying, "My God!" Because I, I I was in the studio in 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 London with Wrighty doing it for Premier League Television, and you could feel the atmosphere that night. And getting text off off my mates that are there the pundits that are there saying, Jesus Christ, this place is electric and the flags, the war flags do such a great job and just, yeah, from, I mean, everything about it from 10 or 15 minutes before the uh, the whistle to, to right at the end, it was just, and the players responded, didn't they? The players put in a magnificent performance. It was superb. Everything I wanted and everything I want from Newcastle going forward and hope. That would have been my my moment of the season as well in terms of specifically both the flags and the atmosphere because the flags was how said it himself afterwards the detail that went into that the level of detail that 49,000 people involved in a display Every, the, the way that it looked with the blue star and then united on the far end and it, I think what that also showed is is the unity around the club and you felt that on the night and as, as Alan said the, the players responded to it and, and in terms of that intensity of atmosphere lasting throughout never really dying down because the players were given something the fans to feed off and then vice versa and it was like that symbiotic relationship all night I, I can't remember an atmosphere like that continuously for a night for a long long time so yeah that that for me was just was it just summed up how brilliant everything around the club has been over the last few months compared to everything before so yeah, I'd agree. I felt a, a massive sense of pride that night, uh, the Arsenal game. Again, for, for one of the first times in a long time with Newcastle United, I, I felt that sort of the feeling in your chest and the, I know it's uh, it's cliche, but the, the goosebumps were back. 
and it had been a long time since I'd felt like that at St. James's Park. Uh, George, what about you? It feels like we're all moving in the same direction here, but I, I do want to give, I do want to kind of make a case for Spurs at home, which was the first game post-takeover. And I got there, I think, two and a half hours before kickoff, and the place was already rammed. And, um, you know, normally you would kind of get there that early and the food bank might be setting up, but they'd be pretty much on their own. They were late to get there that day because that was the day that everybody wanted to be back there again. They wanted to they wanted to sense what it felt like. They wanted to be back at the club. You have to, of course, remember that going to games on a Saturday often felt like the low light of the weekend as opposed to the highlight. Going in was sufferance. Because you knew, you know, you were going into a club. I mean, you were most likely going to not going to see a win, but you also knew that the club didn't particularly want you there, and it was just the absolute contrast to that. And then, of course, for the first few minutes, the first couple of minutes, the noise inside was just incredible. And when Wilson did score that goal after two minutes, to me, that just felt like just a release of ten, twelve, fourteen years. And I wept. I didn't mean to weep. And it was sort of happening without my, you know, kind of control. And it was just that feeling of those two minutes, this is the team and club that Newcastle can be again. And I love that moment. But I do think that, you know, I think Arsenal was 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 really the moment that it becomes a statement of intent. That's how it felt like to me. You know, this is the this is the team playing like the crowd sounds, and we've not had that at Newcastle for a very long time. It was a very, very special evening. Uh, a couple of honourable mentions as well before we move on. Leeds away was was quite an astonishing night Hugely as well, especially important. if you were an away fan in that away end. Lots of bumps and bruises on the way home. Uh, and uh, the moment of the takeover being announced as well, obviously one of the very high points of the season, but we've spoke about that already. Uh, Sports Direct signs being unceremoniously <laughs> crowbarred Good from riddance. the ground yeah. was a lovely sight, wasn't it? Yeah, And that big skip sitting outside the stand, it looked great. The women's team crowd at St. James's Park, yeah. I thought was a fantastic high point, a great moment. Uh, and of course, we've already already mentioned Bruno Guimaraes' goal against Leicester when uh, the entire ground just exploded in joy. I have to ask you, Alan, as well, just before we move on any further, there's been a couple of things around based around you that's happened in the last few months. Your statue's been moved back onto club land and also the bar has been renamed back to Shiraz Bar again. Yep. How does that feel for you? You must be, Do you feel proud of those things happening and, and being brought back into the fold with the club? Yeah, amazing. Really proud, really honoured. Obviously, when I was, was given the statue by the, the, the Shepherd family and it hurt a bit when it wasn't on, on club ground, but I sort of had to accept it. It was the only place that it uh, that it, it could go, but then so for it to be to be moved and everyone agree where it should go and then the bar and everything else, yeah, it's 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 amazing. I mean, you can imagine how proud I am. You, you don't have to hear me say it again, but for me, as a local boy from Newcastle, whenever I drive past it, St James's Park, which is, I don't know, three or four times a week, then... Um, I can't tell you how proud I am to see that statue uh, there and back in, inside the ground again where it, where it belongs. So absolutely delighted. And it's great that it's alongside Sir Bobby as well. Yeah, there, yeah, up, yeah, up yeah. On the plinth. It looks fantastic, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I've got to thank the, uh, thank the, the, the owners for, for actually doing it and, and, and including me in, in that. And, of course, with the, the bar as well. And so for, for it to be next to, to such a legend as Sir Bobby, then um, that makes it even more special. It was symbolic. I think that's the thing. You know, Alan doesn't have to say this, but we certainly can on his behalf. It was symbolic. You know, 
I liked it where it was. I came to like it where it was uh, on Barrack Road because I ran past it often, and you know, you you did get a lot of people, you know, moving past it, and it was there. But it was also slightly apart, and it summed the club up that it had this aloofness mm. to not only to people like Alan, very important people in the club's history, and obviously that you know that was more more than more than just his statue. It was about waiting for that mythical call from Mike Ashley that that never came after his stint as manager. And, you know, just a general attitude to the city and its own supporters that it could almost literally turn its back, have its back turned to those people. And so to be back on to be back on club land, it doesn't solve, you know, the multitude of problems that there's been around the club, but it's symbolic and it shows the world that everyone's in it together again. And, you know, we've seen that on the pitch in recent weeks the club being united and how powerful that can feel. And that's another little, it's just another part of that, and but very, very important. Just a little story. I pulled up, uh, you know, it was outside where it was beforehand. Um, you had the traffic lights and sometimes the buses and the cars came five or six back. And I was going driving with my mate and my mate was driving. I'm in the passenger seat and we pull right outside the statue. And there's a there's a guy taking a bit there's a guy taking a picture of the statue, so I put my window down and I said it's not a bad statue, mate, is it? And he went, no, it's Harry, it's Harry. And he looked, took one look at me and looked back and he went, fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't a bad place for it to be oh, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> not that I wish to end on a negative note on this section, but that statue does move quicker than you now, doesn't it? Alan? <laughs> That is a very good point. You're right, George. Absolutely. I would just like to distance myself from anything George Corgan says. <laughs> a couple of um, other nominations as well for, for moments of the season. We spoke about those before, that leads away game, uh, the takeover, the, the ladies' crowd. Some of the, the guys on the, the real-time feed from the Athletic app, Tom L. said, Trippier's goal run uh, that I think put us on track for safety. He's the best player we've had for years. That goal against Everton, that felt like a moment to me, Chris. It was a, it was some strike, wasn't it? And the and the uh, the the noise in St James's Park was electric that night as well. It was. I mean, it was that second half against Everton. Newcastle just overwhelmed them, and Trippier had been all about that. Trippier had been excellent throughout, and for him to cap it off with the third goal from the free kick, it was yeah, it was huge, and that felt like momentum was really starting at that point. And Trippier sort of summed all that up. Target is there, but it's going to be Kieran Trippier with the free oh, kick. Oh yes! What a goal! Kieran Trippier for Newcastle United into the bottom corner, direct from the free kick. And St James's Park rises to celebrate Trippier's first goal in black and white stripes. Jordan Pickford beaten low down. Trippier has extended their lead with 10 minutes to go. It's Newcastle United 3. Everton won. Oh, it's a great free kick. So, now that 11 places are secured, there's no rest uh, for the Wigan because pretty soon it'll be the transfer window uh, and it feels like another big summer lies ahead. So what are the priorities for Newcastle United now. Uh, Taylor, Alan, Taylor, just wait just wait a second, Taylor. I mean, just the fact that you've said that there, now 11th place is secured. I mean, can you imagine if we just, if just a few months ago sitting here saying that? 
I mean, they were going oh, for sorry, 10th place. I was really blase about that, wasn't it? There should be some sort of fanfare, sort of streamers going off and stuff. Yeah, yeah 11th place. Doesn't seem, didn't seem possible, did it, in December when we were sitting here with Newcastle bottom of the league and, and some of those performances. But yeah, it's, it's an astonishing finish, isn't it, really, when you think about it? Amazing. So, uh, signing a striker has got to be one of those priorities, hasn't it, Alan? That's one of the things that Newcastle have to concentrate on. Goals will push them up the table uh, and, and there's not been enough goals in the team this year. Yeah, it's um, it, without doubt it will be. I mean, uh, whatever you think of the Chris Wood signing in terms of whether you agree with the fee that was paid out or whatever, whatever, um, it worked. It, need, it was needs must at the time. Um, he got his couple of goals, um, did what he had to do, created space for uh, for others. Um, and and, and with, with the situation that we were in, they had to go out and buy a forward. Um, so, but I think that we also realised when Callum Wilson's back in the team, what we what we sort of need and what we miss. And with Callum's injuries that are inevitable um, at some stage during the season, then if we're going to get into that top half and then try and kick on and be the best of the rest, if you like, um, and try and match... West Ham, Wolves, um, all these teams who are trying to break into the uh, into that top six, then we're going to need a, a guy that can, or guys that can put the ball on the back of the net and, and, and score the goals that'll take us up the table. George, Newcastle are desperate for the goals, aren't they? It's, it's, it's been one of those things that we've tried for a long time to, to solve. And with Callum Wilson's injury problems that we know of, it's, it's pretty much a, a, a main priority, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there was, you know, the, the the interesting things about the summer. I think this, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever have a transfer window like January again. But I think this does feel like a big one. And, you know, the other reasons is that we still don't have a, you know, a, a chief executive at Newcastle. They've been uh, having those interviews over the course of the last few months. I was told not too long ago that they hope to be in a position uh, to make a decision Around about the end of the season, that's still not happened. So, be interesting to know what the what the situ- situation is there. We know about um, Dan Ashworth, who's coming in as sporting director, but they're still saying people around the club are still saying that won't be until November. And of course, that's something that really would help the club push on in terms of transfers, perhaps, but also about the uh, you know the sort of infrastructure of the club how it starts making deals and then you you know we're talking about transfers and but they have to they have to get the squad size down yeah um at the same time there's this huge expectation that's been released by the takeover and at the moment they don't have the sort of financial uh budget to be able to cope because they haven't you know they're not bringing in commercial deals and sponsorship deals so asking about the priority for the summer it's actually a very difficult question to answer because one thing leads to another question, I would I would probably say I think my my priority would be getting a CEO, someone close to the takeover when it happened. Sort of said that that's the moment when the whole club takes off because that person sets the tone um, for everything underneath. And you know, have to remind ourselves that the club have actually been build, building itself backwards, getting a head coach in before a sporting director and before a CEO. So I think that's a big moment. That would be a big moment if and when it happens. 
Chris, the, the the squad size thing, this is this is an issue, isn't it? Because there's an awful lot of players there who are on an awful lot of money a week. And I don't like the term, you know, surplus to requirements because we can see players turn it around. We look at Joe Linton and Fabian Shea to a slightly lesser extent this season. But some of those players are going to have to move on, aren't they? Yeah, I realise you're kind of me because you always like me to talk about the more boring and less positive stuff. So that's that's kind of me. Just suits you, Chris. But it just suits I know what exactly is. This is just suits. <laughs> but but no, you are right. And it, Newcastle are going to have about 32 senior players when players return from loans, and the ones have already got outside of the squad. And Eddie Howe wants to bring in between four and six players this summer, which means they're going to have to move on 10 to 15 players, and a lot of them. Or a lot of the players who haven't been featuring and who you would have thought would be the ones who, who will potentially move on are in their late 20s, early 30s. They've still got decent contracts at Newcastle, some of them long-term, some of them a year or two. But their wages, compared to what their market value would be wage-wise, is huge. And so it's going to be very, very difficult for Newcastle to move on those players. But that has to be one of that has to be one of the priorities this summer. And it, it's, it's a shame because some of those players, as George and I wrote about last week and spoke about, are players who've served Newcastle very well during a very tough period over the last few years but the club needs to now evolve needs to push on and if Eddie Howe does have hopes of taking Newcastle comfortably into the top 10 and beyond then they need to move on some of those players bring in younger players with greater quality and to do that yeah that they need to make room in the wage bill and and it's going to be very very difficult outgoing wise because there hasn't been that much interest in those players so far. Alan, as far as the, the squad goes, the, the apart from signing a striker, which we've all agreed is a priority, which other positions do you think Newcastle need to, to look at? Centre-half. Um, I think there'll they'll, they'll be a turnover of, of one or two centre-halves going and another one coming in, I'd, uh, I'd guess. The situation in, in left-back needs to, to be sorted out, whether they sign uh, target or not. Um, he's been a wonderful job. Um, he's had a great few months. He's been a real... I, I'm looking to say steady Eddie because he's been better than that. Yeah. Um, so it's important they try and sort that uh, sort that situation out. Um, but you know, when it comes to a turnover of players, even even Man City will have a turnover of four or five out and and two or three in. I think it's hugely important that that you do that, even when you're the best, even when you're winning all the uh, all the trophies. Um, but when you're in Newcastle situation and you do have a pool that is too big of players. There's no doubt about that. I mean, part of the problem is because of the the salary that the players are on and how long they've got left on their contract. It won't be as easy to get players out as you think. One thing that's very interesting, if you think back at, to January very briefly, is just that the the hit rate they had in terms of success. Yeah. I mean, okay, you know, Chris, Chris Wood, we've talked about that. That was a needs must signing. I'll always defend. I will always defend his signing because it's worked and he played in all those important wins. But everybody was a success, and you know that can't last forever. Uh, but it's not very often that happens. No, it? Yeah. no. But they've all, they absolutely all played their part. I know Trippier was injured, but they absolutely all played their part. And um, you know that's what you want to continue: people that fit in with the ethos of the squad, yeah. um, and then carry that forward, but also make the squad better. That's the challenge for the summer, isn't it? This was the point I wanted to make earlier on when, we, when Alan mentioned people saying, you know, you've thrown £95 million at it. A lot of teams have spent a lot of money over the years and and it hasn't came together. I mean, look at Everton. Look at the money Everton have spent. Oh, Christ. And the struggle that, that they're in at the minute. It's it's not just about throwing money at it, is it? It's got to be the right players at the right time, under the right circumstances, the right characters, and then the coaching comes in and all of the rest of it. And it's, it, it's not as simple as just chucking money at the situation, is it? That's the hardest part of being a 
manager, if you're choosing the players in terms of not only have they got to have the ability, you've got to have the character, you've got to have the right attitude. Um, and especially when you're going in quickly, like Newcastle did, to get the characters that they did and realise that the dire situation that they were in, they needed they needed people who had good character, who understood the league, who who knew what it was what it was about, and to have that bit of to have that bit of steel, to have that bit of nastiness in in in, in their personality, to help Newcastle get out of the shit basically. So to have the success rate as they have done in in terms of the January signings, that is very rare when you're signing that many for them all to make a huge impact. Absolutely right. Then, uh, just for a quick bit of fun before we uh, before we move on at the end, uh, what about a fantasy Premier League sign? In other words, if there was uh, money, no object, and availability, no object, who would we love to see playing in black and white next season? Chris, let's go to you first. Well, I'm going to continue the theme of me being really boring, and I'm going to go for a goalkeeper because. Uh... <laughs> Chris man Chris Taylor's just asked you who would you like to be play- <laughs> love to be playing in black and white black and white next season the goalkeeper wouldn't be playing in black and white so you've got this wrong from the start for every conceivable reason anyway my pick would be Edison oh. I would go for Edison I'm sorry everyone I'm sorry why well, I mean, he is a very good goalkeeper. We'll let you off with that, but my God. Who the fuck picks a goalkeeper in a fantasy league? Chris Woff does, that's who. Yeah, Alan, well, welcome to Pod on the Time. You're just very lucky. You can't see Chris's nipples at the moment. <laughs> oh, God. God. Well, who would be yours, Alan? Come on. Mine would be the guy that's just gone to uh, Manchester City, Haaland. I don't need to tell you why. I just think he's... Uh, Incredible. So, money no, no, money no object... Man City lay out whatever, 60, whatever they paid, £60 million for Haaland. You're just going to immediately go to them and give them 500 million quid and get Haaland. No, because if you, money, you said to me money's yeah, no object. So that's, that's the case, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah. well, uh, you know, so yeah, I would, I would go and get Haaland. Yeah. Right, okay, fine. Um, who are you going to get? Who are you going to go and get? Fucking left back or someone now? Are you going to carry on Chris's theme? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pay twenty grand for your statue and put that up front and see if it. Um, cheeky bastard. So I was, I was, I was at both the heavy defeats towards the end of the season uh, away from, yeah, away from home, and I was going to say Son at Tottenham because I just loved watching him that day. Yeah, he's amazing. and I've just. I do love him. I know Harry Kane. I mean, he obviously gets a lot of credit, but Harry, Kane Kane kind of gets all the attention. But I just love Son, and I love the way he runs around. I think he would fit in very well at Newcastle. But then I went to then I went to City, and I was in the away end for that. And I I, did, I had a great day, I have to say, because I was with my brother, and we had a great time. But De Bruyne was so was so very very good that day that day too. I'm going to say Son. I think I'll say Son. Oh, that's great because I was going to go for De Bruyne. I think he he looks like he's playing a different game to the rest of the the rest yeah, of the yeah. pitch. Sometimes he, he he just he sees things that other players aren't capable of seeing, doesn't he? He's he's an absolutely wonderful footballer. I and mean, when you think that Chelsea uh, couldn't couldn't get a tune out of him and sent him off to to Wolfsburg all those years ago, and it's it it's just amazing uh, the player that he's become. Uh, right then, let's quickly finish off with two quick fire rounds before we move on. Firstly, uh, let's try and sum up the season in a single word. I'll lead us off. I'm going to go with the word ridiculous because it has been and it always will be with Newcastle United, but never more so uh, than in 21-22. George, how about you? I'm going to say unprecedented because I think that sums up the position 
the club were in to get out of that position and uh, to to kind of be thriving by the time the season ends. But also, yeah, I mean, to to have the ownership that there's there now, to have the sort of ambition, yeah, unprecedented. You can never Chris, just say one you? word, George, can you? You can't just ever say one word. Has no concept of quickfire <laughs> whatsoever, does he? That was about fucking three hundred and thirty words. Well, I've got George. I've got two words for all of you, <laughs> if you'd like to hear them. <laughs> Chris, go on then. What's oh. yours? Mine would be batshit, and I don't think that quite does it justice. But Alan, what about yours? Crazy. Put yours and Chris's together. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> batshit crazy. It's ridiculously unpreprecedentedly batshitly crazy. <laughs> Between the four of us, we've managed to cover everything there, haven't we? Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. How about a prediction for next season? And Alan, let's start with you. Prediction for Newcastle finishing. Um, Eighth. Not bad. It's pretty. You want? Is that? Is that? What is it? Is that? Is am I allowed to give a reason? Are we in a hurry? Or can I say? No, no. Go for it. Give me a reason. Yeah, yeah. Eighth, eighth. Because to finish eleventh, to do what we have done, to have the confidence back, and to have. I'm sure there's going to be signings. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say eight, and I don't. I don't think that's being unrealistic. I think that 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 would be a normal trajectory to where the what Newcastle want to do and where they want to go. How about you, Chris? Are you going to say something like, "Oh, I don't mind as long as we stay up"? <laughs> I mean, I would first and foremost, I'd like them to stay up. Yeah, that would be priority. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean that. That I, I want a season where they're, they're not worrying about survival at all. So that comfortable, but comfortable top ten. I, th- I was going to say eighth as well, like Alan. But I'd also, I also think that that can and will go on a cup run for the first time in a I'd long while. Yeah. Genuinely, Eddie Howe yeah. came out last week and said that he was going to target the cups, and it was the first time in fourteen years a manager's actually come and said that. And you've thought, yeah, I believe him. Actually, he will target a cup <laughs> next season. Yeah. So I'd like him to do that. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I would if you offered me now tenth, not a single mention of relegation and a cup run, I would definitely take it. But you, Chris, you use that word comfortable. I don't think that's what the club wants, does it? I think it, it's by by saying what they've said, by doing what they've done, they've, they're showing that comfortable is not what they're about. Um, so I would I, I'll, I'll be unusually positive and I'll agree with Alan. I think that if they could get themselves to eighth next season I think that becomes another statement. You know, it's not it's not it's not dramatic perhaps but i think to get from where they have been this season to eighth would be another statement so that would be pretty good well i will say i'll be i would be happy with top 10 i would have to say top half of the league i think is is you know it's an improvement on what they've done this season and i think i would be happy with that as far as a prediction goes i think any anything's possible with this team um, they, they could surprise us all and they could go top eight, top six, you never know. Uh, it's a big ask, uh, but it's always possible, isn't it? Who knows? Uh, that's it, really. Um, don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months at the minute at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right then, chaps, that's it uh, for this season on Pod of the Time. Thank you out there all of you for listening thanks to everyone who's contributed messages and said lovely things to us in cafes and pubs at the match and also the not so lovely things that occasionally get said uh, in the pubs and the cafes uh we'll be taking a break for a couple of weeks uh but we'll be back for some summer fun uh, and here's a date for your diaries chris and myself will be appearing at the tyneside irish center on june the 9th uh, and there'll be live music and plenty of discussion with some friends of the show and you can be there uh, tickets are available at tickettailor.com forward slash events forward slash geordie night with all the proceeds 
go into the food bank. So why not get yourselves along? Chaps, thank you so much for today. Alan, thanks a lot for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking your time out. And Chris, George, it's been a pleasure. Hey, it's been emotional this season, hasn't it? Let's be honest. There's been times when I didn't think we were going to get through these podcasts. And last <laughs> week was nearly that time, wasn't it, Chris? <laughs> It was, yes. That it's was a good job the season's ending now because the breakdown is literally round the corner, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that's already been. It's already come and gone, I think, so yeah. I've learned a lot coming on here, Chris. Your nipples, your vegetable lasagna, you're stuck in a bog and your fantasy player would be a fucking goalkeeper. It's been amazing. Oh, we have to get uh, We have to get that. I want that clipped as a ringtone. So when Chris rings me. That's going to be The greatest one. footballer. The greatest footballer in the history of Newcastle United and the Premier League reducing Chris <laughs> Woff to shreds. That is my... That is the, that is now, that's now my highlight of the season. Alan, thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. You come in for some stick on this podcast, Chris, and some gentle ribbon, but I must say, thanks for this season. You've been such a good sport amongst it all. It's, you know, it's been great fun. I've absolutely loved uh, recording the podcast with you guys this year, and, and we'll be back. Uh, very soon thank you so much to all of you out there listening uh, and have a lovely summer we'll speak to you on the other side Athletic.